0: Go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint and wait for all this to blow over.
1: How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Don't stop me now Don't stop me
0: Cos I'm having a good time, Having
1: a good time a shooting star leaping through the sky like a tiger so, with social distancing and trying to keep inside, do you just toss Lola out the front door and like wait at the window with a glass of wine?
0: I wish I could, but since I don't have a yard, that's impossible. Yeah,
1: you, so. you actually have to take the little thing for a walk.
0: I do, but the good news is, is like everyone with dogs at least is being actually fairly respectful. Right. So. I, will, I give, will give props to my fellow dog owners in my neighborhood.
1: Can I suggest a treadmill? <laughs> and, like a, and then just buy yourself a little tuffet of grass and I think you're okay. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to a matinee cast presentation of the Winchester Chronicles. This is dispatch number three. Our mission is this, COVID-19 is affecting everybody's lives. Obviously that includes being able to go to the movies. That means that our usual discussions of cinematic passion and perspective needs to take a shift. However, it doesn't mean that the overall film discussion has to stop. So while we wait for the whole thing to blow over, we virtually sit here in our virtual Winchester pub and turn our attention to the best films of the decade gone by instead of the new releases we normally cover. So we're all getting used to distance, replacing culture with live stream, replacing weekends with webcams. For today's guest though, that's especially hard shift for me because I associate her and our friendship with being out and about in the city. Whether it's sitting in a bar watching the last few at-bats of a baseball game or gathering with our friends and arguing about film over beer or seeing concerts in arenas or tiny clubs, this woman and this friendship that I have been blessed with has been synonymous with getting out and around over the last five years that we've been friends. Maybe that's why I wanted to get her on the show early. Either that or I wanted to quiz her and see if she'd actually read the comic book that I loaned her two months ago. I have not. <laughs> uh-huh. That's fine because you can't that get it back to me anyway. Her writing can be found at live for films Hilary Butler is here. How are you Hilary Butler?
0: I'm so tired. For what? <laughs> there's, there's nothing to do. have uh, to work and it's, let me tell you, it's emotionally exhausting dealing with everything outside and dealing with work stuff inside. So it's it's yeah this it's a struggle is really
1: yeah it's I mean that's that's where we differ right is that like you're you're still going into the workplace and I am not and yeah it's it's like I we have whole different realities now so it's it's one of those things where like you know empathy and, and listening and trying to be like there for another person it's taking it up a notch because everybody's reality is a little bit different
0: now on yeah, our track th- is great though I'll have to say like that's that's one thing that's working very well for me. <laughs>
1: you got to enjoy the little things, right? Absolutely. Uh, On our third dispatch of the Winchester Chronicles, we will be discussing Call Me By Your Name. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first we begin with Creature Comforts. So, just in case you're still new here, Creature Comforts is replacing Know Your Enemy. Uh, we're talking about what is keeping us company, what is keeping us entertained while we're all on lockdown. Uh, Hillary, get us started. What, what have you been uh, spending your time on when you're not talking down nervous pet owners and fight and, and enjoying tra- traffic-free highways?
0: Uh, too many things. I, like I was trying to think of my Creature Comforts, and I think I've needed so many comforts that it was very difficult to whittle down. Like We're
1: we're going to talk a long time about the movie. So maybe, (laughs) maybe pick one or two.
0: One of the things that actually came out at the beginning of the month that I has literally gotten me through some of the times that I've maybe felt a little bit lower is Dua Lipa's new album. So very uh, future nostalgia is.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: yes. Number one, a great title for an album. Okay. It's uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, it's just a happy danceable album and I'm very glad that she decided to go ahead and release it. Um, despite the fact that many other artists are deferring their albums. So
1: Yeah, that's been the tricky thing is like music in general is kind of in a weird place because like as I said off the top of the show, concerts are gone. And I don't know if you read or not, but there's news that dropped this week that figures concerts actually could be gone for a year and a half. I know um, it's got that is affecting the music that we're seeing, of course, because there's a whole ecosystem to the music that they create, right? Because they create these new albums, but then they got a tour behind it to actually make the money. And they did this kind of mindset became, well, if I can't tour, I don't know if I want to release the album just yet. Maybe just hang on to it until I can go out there and promote it instead of going out in whatever it is, six months or nine months or a year and trying to promote old material. I mean, I thought of you because I know you're a fan of Lady Gaga.
0: And yeah, she, got my ticket.
1: Yeah, well, you, you had your <laughs> ticket. Um,
0: I still have them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your optimism is so endearing. Um, she delayed the release of her album because of everything else. So, yeah, when Dua Lipa released her new record, um, I was happy. Any, any artist that is releasing their records right now, I'm so happy to have it. Um, because it's kind of one of those little things that's helping the world keep on moving. Like there's not a boatload of new material that's coming. Um, that is, that is a really dancey, happy poppy album. I think I, I already used one track for my song of the day on Twitter. Um, It's
0: on total repeat. It's a great like dog walking thing. It's a, I need to clean the house record. It's a, I just feel icky today. So
1: yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a good one for sure. I'll, um, I'll include a track in the show notes from, from the new Dua Lipa. Uh, people are curious. Um, well, my one of my creature comforts is also music-related, so maybe I'll start there. Um, one of the weird blessings of COVID is I'm getting to experience something that was on my bucket list for a long time. Um, I am a huge fan of Questlove from the Roots um, mm-hmm. as a producer, as a musician, he as a writer. Like I've written, he's written two books that I've read that were both really uh, well written and. Uh, he, along with being a drummer and a producer and a podcast host, and he, I think one time he counted and he's got something like 10 official jobs. Um, he's a DJ Right. he does DJ sets in New York all the time when they're touring. He does DJ sets when he's touring all the time. And I've always wanted to see him do a DJ set, but first of all, he only does them in Toronto when he's here on tour. And so it's usually kind of like he'll do the show that night and then go do a DJ set that night. It's like, I, i just can't Uh, one two they're not cheap like to go listen to him spin is still like 50 or 60 bucks so i've always wanted to hear him play whatever he's gonna play and do a dj set um but i've never been able to well with everybody on lockdown quest has taken his dj sets that happen nightly and put them live onto youtube twitch instagram periscope so every night for, like, a week and a half, I've been going to sleep listening to, like, Questlove do a DJ set. Amazing. Yeah, it's been fabulous. Now, I mean, the crazy thing is, so, first of all, he just plays these cool mixes that happen to suit his mood or a theme that he's thinking of in a, in his head. Like, the night, that, um, the night that Bill Withers died, he played a really big um, Bill Withers set. In the middle of all of this, of him getting started putting his sets on YouTube uh a gentleman named hal wilner passed away from covid complications he's um he's an snl music producer um yeah. all of the lonely island stuff he worked on that all the live appearances he worked on that and quest had a really good working relationship with wilner so the day that he died quest was actually really out of sorts and his show turned extremely chill like you know very low pulse chill and it kind of turned into this group therapy quasi meditative self care community like hour and it was it was beautiful to hear it actually like it was kind of right when I was sort of starting to teeter with with everything Mm -hmm. like it was on a day where where everything that we're going through started to get to me and it was gorgeous and he's like decided it's something that he wants to keep in the in the rhythm so he's he's done two of these now where it's lower key he talks about this like self-help book that he found that that him and his co-host really draw a lot of inspiration from if you don't want to stay up and listen to them because they're usually from like nine to midnight or like ten to one uh, eastern um if you don't want to stay up and listen to them live they usually hang around youtube for five or six days so right now if somebody goes to the roots uh youtube feed again there'll be a link in the show notes you can listen to a bunch of these sets and they're all like three hours so if you want to put something on and and, you know and just kind of like you said like dance around while you're cleaning the apartment it's it's a good way to go
0: yeah we all have to like get out some of our energy somehow right body Uh, calm classes at home like online that that's helpful but uh, yeah, you got to do it somehow.
1: I mean, the last two days I tried meditating. That's going well.
0: Uh, you got to start in short bouts, though, Ryan.
1: Ten minutes, I, I got it. Like ten minutes. I was, good. I was good. It was like it was really nice. I, I, tomorrow yeah. I might go for twelve. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this show goes up, as well, um, Quest is doing a whole weekend's worth of sets dedicated to Prince uh, because this weekend would have been the anniversary of Prince's death. Go check out Quest feed. Um, what else? What else have you been doing? What other creature comforts you got going on?
0: when I'm not driving myself crazy trying to do my puzzle, which I haven't done a puzzle for like a decade. So I just decided to buy a puzzle. What, so, what,
1: what puzzle did you get yourself?
0: Uh, it's just a thousand piece puzzle. It just, you know, but it's of this lovely Parisian kind of scene, okay, which is not satisfying my wanderlust at all. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, something pretty to look at. Well, it's not right now, but it's, <laughs> I think I'm like maybe a third of the way done okay. is taking a while. But when I'm not doing a puzzle, um, I was trying to think of things I've been watching. So I don't want to talk about Westworld because you we did that already. I did watch The Outsider, though. How uh that? So it, it got slightly creepy for me. And Ryan very well knows that I don't do creepy very well. Um, he's usually the person that watches everything first and tells me whether or not it's something I can handle. Have I been um, wrong so, yet? Uh, no. Good. Not okay. at all. All, right. all right. So there was a slight creep factor to it. Um people in hoodies were a little bit touch and go for me for a couple of days. I mean it did have its like Stephen King strangeness uh to it, where it gets a little bit more I don't want to say ghostly, but
1: Okay, first of all, does it become really paranormal?
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean there's a spiritual kind of thing to it, a paranormal thing to it. Uh that isn't apparent, I guess, in the first three or four episodes.
1: Stupid question. What is it about? I've seen the ads for it on like HBO whenever I'm on watching something else, but I can't actually deduce what it's about. What is What is The Outsider actually about? It's
0: probably a good thing. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, so okay. because I, I think that's easy to do. Okay. The, the opening premise, I suppose, is basically that uh, a kid in a town uh, is found murdered and it's a murder mystery trying to figure out who killed this kid so that's the opening premise but it in stephen king fashion it's it you know unravels into something a little bit
1: and is it self-contained is it one season and done or does it look like it's a story that's going to go on for a few more seasons
0: funny i guess because it it, i I think it was based on like a a short story or a book or something but um they have in a way left it open okay I guess, but it is completely self-contained. So, if they, I guess, if it was very successful and they felt like they wanted to do some more and bring Ben Mendelsohn back, okay, uh, they could do so.
1: I mean, yeah. I, I'm always in favor of more Ben Mendelsohn in everything. Um, I know you're. I know you just started watching another show, so tell tell people about that oh, one. Yes.
0: So, the, but that was just so only one episode has aired, but it got me very excited because again, it's hard to keep my attention in. A lot of these things right now. Like, I start watching something and then I'm on my phone or I'm, you know, someone's texting me. So, Have you
1: tried meditating? Uh,
0: only short bouts, Brian. Uh, <laughs> so, Sorry. So, last night, I finally managed to catch up with the first episode of Run, um, which is uh, the producers behind Fleabag and uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge is part of that producing uh, group uh, with Don Hall Gleason and uh, Merritt Weaver, who I love um in this little half hour hbo show um which for the first five minutes i had no idea where they were going with it and i absolutely loved that i still don't actually know how they're going to do a whole series of this
1: well what i love i so i watch that too I, I i just caught like a sliver of a trailer for it so i didn't really know what i was getting in for except I like these two actors. I like these showrunners. Sure. What the, it's on HBO. They do good stuff. All right. What the hell?
0: I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just
1: kind of just went for it. Right. Like you, like when I started watching, I'm like, what am I getting into? Like, it feels like I'm dropping into a story four chapters in or so, because it just starts with her sitting in this car, looking at a text on her phone that says run and yeah. you don't like running from something running for something what's going on and then it's it's that it spends much of that first half hour keeping its cards so close to its chest and not really giving you a lot it takes the entire first episode to figure out these two people knew each other in the past and now they've reconnected on impulse for reasons we don't know and just that they both followed this impulse and we don't know what either one of them has left behind except that we know they've both left a lot. Like by the time they get done with that first half hour, we know that she's an architect and he's like a self-help guru. Sure. And she seems
0: to have family, I guess, like we find that out.
1: They both seem to have something. That's that's the thing that I like is that it, it hasn't spelled out to us. What each one of them are really leaving behind. The people trying to reach her seem a little bit more adamant than the people trying to reach him. Um, Agreed. I, I love that first episode, and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I'm show. so
0: excited. to Watch like more because I don't know, I don't know how they do an entire series of this. I don't know whether we're going to get flashbacks of their life. I don't know. Like I have no idea where it's going, and that excites me. I don't yeah. like it when it's all spelled out for me. I've. I've quite happy to be especially with these two actors i'm quite happy to go in and keep going in blind like
1: just me too me too i can't wait my my but it's kind of funny because all of a sudden my sunday went and got really stacked because between run (laughs) and insecure and westworld and then killing Killing. came back last week it's like yep, i've got you know and john oliver is on again so it's like i've got stuff to watch on sundays holy i've got nothing to watch the rest of the week but sundays is when i've got everything sunday is the best my last creature comfort is uh, I finished a book today because of course I did. Um, I finished
0: Just one, Ryan. Just, just one, one?
1: Ryan. Yeah, just I, I finished one. I'm working on two at the moment. It's weird to call this a creature comfort because it's heavy, but it, I, I can't deny that I actually found it um, deeply, deeply engaging at a time where it's hard, like you said, to really focus on anything. Uh, I did the audiobook of Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Um, she was the woman who the um, Stanford swimmer uh, raped a few years ago. Uh, And when she was um, his accuser, of course, she had to go by Emily Doe, like she couldn't use her name or her identity for fear of reprisal for fear of harassment for just you know, the way the law is set up. And so now it's several years later and she wrote this book last year to tell her story to give her voice um, a proper platform because a lot of people myself and yourself included were really uh drawn to this woman's voice when her um statement when her closing statement was published um and that's a part of the book like that's the the last thing in the book is her statement in full and it's actually a lot longer than a lot of us had read it's crazy because the book gets a little more than halfway done i'd say it gets like 55 percent of the way finished and the guilty verdict comes in and it's i remember thinking while i was reading this that it's so so interesting of an approach because i remember thinking there's an old line out there that if you're reading a mystery novel they seem to have solved the mystery with a lot of book left to go. They probably really haven't solved the mystery. So that's what I was Mm -hmm. thinking. I'm like, this is about a very famous rape trial and the rape trial is over, but there's still a lot of book left to go. She uses that extra time because of course it wasn't just about innocent or guilty, but it was about what that case came to symbolize, what her role in what would eventually become me too and justice for victims of sexual sexual abuse and harassment would become over the years afterwards she talks about all of that because it was you know I it's it's weird like time flies so I completely forget as a for instance that the guilty verdict the six-month sentence reduced to three of course um, and her statement going viral that was all before the American election. Hmm. So she went through all of that and then Donald Trump got elected. Right. So it's, so she starts talking about that and how that all kind of turned into this firestorm of accountability and justice and some really vile attitudes on the other side and people acting like things were okay when they really weren't. And, yeah, listening to it as an audiobook, it took a few minutes to really get used to it because she narrates a tad on the slow side. So it's it's probably not a long book, but she's reading it slower than I would read it. So it took a little while to kind of get used to her rhythm, but it was incredible.
0: That's a it seems like heavy subject for this. Hey, if it caught your attention and kept your attention, I think it's important to have.
1: Yeah, it's um it like I've been, you know, every day I try to go out for a long walk because what else do I have to do? Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 audiobook has been keeping me company on my walks uh, for for most of the time that I've been that I've been walking. Uh, it's it's an incredible book. Of course, it's very triggering. I'd say um, so. You know, be careful. But it's it's all from her perspective. It's all her writing and her thoughts and her experiences. And I mean, if nothing else, I would say that every guy out there needs to read this uh you know I, I think you're doing creature comforts a little bit better than i am but uh you know i'm, I'm getting dj sets out of this so uh, everyone
0: finds different things ryan that's the beauty
1: of it. i know uh there we go that's our creature comforts for this week but uh we have a feature to get to our feature for dispatch number three is call me by your name right after this oh to see without my eyes the first time that you- by the time i cried i built your walls around me call me by your name was released in 2017 it was directed by luca guaranino it was written by james ivory adapted by the novel uh written by andre Asiman. stars timothy chalamet army hammer Michael Stuhlbarg, Amira Cesar, and Esther Gorell. For the second dispatch in a row, we have a film set in the past, this time the summer of 1983. Call Me By Your Name takes us to northern Italy, where the Perlman family are vacationing in a villa and welcoming a grad student to intern for the patriarch, Professor Samuel. That's Stuhlbarg. The grad student is Oliver, Army Hammer, tall, handsome, charismatic. He has an ease about him that draws everyone towards him, including Perlman's son, Elio. That's Chalamet. From moment to moment, we can see in Elio's eyes that he's more than just curious about his summer roommate. He's actually drawn to him. Eventually his interest is reciprocated in a romantic fashion and the two men share in the sort of connection that can shape an entire life. Halfway through this coming of age tale, Elio's mother is reading to the men in her life from a 16th century story called uh, Heptameron. And she comes to a choice that faces the English knight. Uh, the central character in that story. She reads aloud the words that end the chapter. Is it better to speak or to die? That quote and that question cut to the core of stories, like Call Me By Your Name, stories that hang on a singular moment in a person's life that could have been missed, or even spared, if you prefer, if the person in question had stayed silent. Seems like a good place as any, doesn't it? Pop quiz hotshot. Is it better in regards to this film and in regards to however
0: you want to take this, to speak or to die. What's interesting in this film, I don't think, is Elio ever truly speaks. So after that, he they go on a bike ride, I believe, into town, and he has this exchange with Oliver, but they don't actually verbalize completely what they're feeling for one another. Um, so they actually don't really speak. They... Realize what's in between the words. He speaks it in a way that's not completely verbal, I guess. So I found that kind of interesting because I actually wrote that quote down about better to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, talk about because like shortly after that, uh, you know, he's Oliver says to him like, "Oh, you know so much," and Elio goes, "Oh, how little I know about the things that matter," Um, and that kind of starts theirx change of them realizing that they have these thoughts about one another but they don't actually ever really say it it's at the end when i guess army hammer says you're making things more difficult for me when you realize that they actually have said a lot in between their sentences
1: so you think he would have been better off going with die
0: no i don't think so i think he spoke i just think he didn't speak he he just didn't use his words maybe as his mother was kind of insisting that he do. I think that she was telling him a lot in that story. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: He didn't speak the way that that, that that night would speak for me. Like to answer my own question, I, I go with speak. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to die anyway. So you might as well go out like a blaze of glory as the old saying goes. The funny thing is, you know, you were saying that Elio doesn't really speak after they bring it up. But the funny thing that I, latched onto in that moment is when he mentions that they were reading the book and you know and Oliver's like is that the one do you speak or die Oliver really has nothing to offer in return like I mean here's a guy he's an older person he's a grad student he should have a teeny bit of knowledge wisdom and experience under his belt here's a perfect opportunity to uh you know Draw somebody into yourself by offering up some life wisdom, and he just kind of shrugs it off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what speaking gets you.
0: One of the things that struck me as interesting about Elio's character, and it was it, this is I think the third time I've watched this movie, so I was trying to pick up on some more little things. But he's he's more forthcoming as a young man than I would have expected, right? Like this this. uh realization of attraction isn't coming from oliver's character no at all no. it's 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 all him and i found it interesting because i'm not sure that you know as a young person we like i personally wouldn't have had the bravery or strength to do that um so i i found that inter- an interesting thing It was just the perspective i guess
1: i always wonder if oh. it's stupidity though because when we're young <laughs> like i had a theory a while ago that when we're the age that Elio is in this story, and I think he's seventeen. Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, we love the most intensely that we ever will. We will do some spectacularly stupid things <laughs> when we're seventeen because, you know, our teenage selves are just so raw when it comes to emotion, and our sensors are turned all the way up. So we will act on things in our adult lives we wouldn't even consider think doing so yeah you know elio acts on and articulates some his desires um you know if not necessarily his feelings you know in a way that you or i probably wouldn't tomorrow but at the same time i don't think he would tomorrow either if he was our age (laughs)
0: uh probably not uh Especially with what he learns in the course of the movie, <laughs> no, exactly. You know, I remember. So the first time I saw this movie was at TIFF. Oh, um, nice. Of course, uh, it was a nine a.m. showing. Um, oh, man. Those showings are tough for me. I still loved and connected with this movie, and I think there's something about it that brings out the scars that you bear from those first, from that first love maybe you had, or that, or that feeling that you had. Um, from that first real relationship or that connection that you've had that makes this film stick with you. And so even though I haven't watched it that many times, I actually think about it fairly often. <laughs> so besides the fact that it's just a technically beautiful film, I mean, you're somewhere in Northern Italy. They never really tell you where. What a place to have this spectacular kind of connection and awakening and what becomes a romance. And there's some truly romantic moments actually between the two of them. And I don't know that, that just really was a feeling I don't get from that many films was having as deep a connection with what Elio, I guess, is going through.
1: Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I did not catch up with this at TIFF. I had to wait till it hit, you know, it's theatrical run, like a plebe. And I (laughs) remember this is a film that hit me with both barrels um i was weeping by the time it was done uh, you know just basically like ilio looking at his fire and me looking right back at him and we're both a mess it and yet i've actually i've gone back to it several times in the time in between but mostly just in a put it on in the background because i know it's really pretty <laughs> kind of way so i know the first 25 30 minutes of this movie really well and then that second hour and change, I it, it, it's that kind of part is a little bit foggier. I've seen it all the way through, I'd say kind of like you, probably about three times. But in between, along with those three times, I've seen that first act quite a bit. So it's it's crazy that there are things in it that I was remembering for the first time, watching it for the purposes of this show. And there's other things that I have committed to to memory, you know, from, from like the first act this was kind of really, this was really the coming out party for Chalamet.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, what did what did you- But a year for him too, because he also had another movie, which might come up later.
1: Ah, I see.
0: So this was definitely the first time I think I'd seen him in anything, and you're never going to forget him. He embodied that kind of innocent kid that's got a lot going on under the surface. Like he, you always knew that his brain was thinking about something which is exactly what you needed for Elio because he's so trying to figure out who he is and confused and sometimes angry and he just managed to embody all of that. And that that's a spectacular thing for an actor who's maybe doing well, probably I guess doing his first leading role. Like this movie is almost entirely from his perspective. There's a scene at the end where I think they let Oliver have A little perspective, but Hmm. he's he's definitely like ninety nine percent of the time it's all yeah it's it's tough to carry and he does it exceedingly well
1: yeah it's crazy because I mean he needs to be a few different things at once like you know there's times where he's bratty and there's times where he's sort of trying to preen and there's other times where he's just so doe-eyed lost in the you know in in the like in the face of this you know basically greek god who's coming to stay with them this grad student (laughs) um what i think is really cool about him as a like as a casting choice um you know and, and he's really young in this movie i think he's what is he 19 in in real time i don't know um i mean the character is 17 which is problematic in its own right but it's Italy, so what are you gonna do? Um, there's a scene where Samuel, where the where the professor is talking about like the um the slides that they're that they're cataloguing of all these Greek and Italian and Roman statues. And he's talking about the the male bodies that they that they represent and the ambiguity in the in this particular series of bodies. You know, they're not Daniel type muscular, you know alpha male type bodies he talks about how they're more ambiguous um they're more androgynous almost this is kind of what he 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 leads to and it's funny because oliver actually kind of shoots him a look when he brings it up it's it's a great little moment where he's talking up these bodies and chalamet at this point in his life he's very much in that physical state you know Mm -hmm. he's He's got a little bit of meat on him, but he's still like really, really kind of elbows and knees. Um, And and it's, it's a physical, like, I mean, he seems to spend half this movie half dressed. Um, So he really kind of, you know, he's got a physical nature of this performance, um, both in the way he carries it and what he physically looks like at this moment in time Mm -hmm. that suits the character and suits what they're trying to say about, you know, that type of man being desirable.
0: He's still, he's very, um, he's still very awkward with himself. Oh God. Yeah. It's like, there's a, there's a moment when they're, they're going to the beach. They're about to dig up like dredge up this statue and they go to the beach. And as he's like walking away from the camera, he pulls his shirt down over his bum. (laughs) And that, that moment to me, I'd never noticed it before, but I'm like, his, his character is so awkward with himself that he still feels the need to kind of adjust himself in these little ways when he's around Oliver. And when he's in it, it, little details like that, that I think whether he meant to do that or not, whether he thought about it or not, that just made me think that he embodied him so well.
1: Well, and that's what I love about, you know, the character being the age that he is in the face of the the person that he desires is you know, having, having been one myself, teenage boys are idiots. We have no <laughs> idea what we're doing. We have no idea who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be. And it's crazy because he embodies that so very well, both when he's with the woman from town who he's kind of got a thing for Marzia. And certainly when he's around Oliver, he's, there's sometimes where he's trying to act cocky and in mm-hmm. there's other times where he's just, so awkward and so, you know, not knowing just even how to sit in the chair. Um, and other times where it, it's just, it's incredible to see. Now on the other side of all this, we have Army Hammer, mm-hmm. right? Who in this movie combines an amazing amount of charisma with vulnerability.
0: Isn't he just a character that oozes that charm, right? Like as you said in your introduction and rightly so, he draws everyone to him and at the same time he's he's a man that recognizes his weakness for indulgence um you know at the at the beginning of the movie he's he sits down to breakfast with them and they're like oh have more eggs and he's like no if i have them i won't stop and like you know he's a guy that downs his juice all in one go and i think that's one of the things that holds him back from elio is because he knows he he knows himself too well Um, he's a man that likes the things he likes. For most things, no apologies for that. He's cocky when he needs to be. He holds himself like he knows like the very good-looking man he knows he is, <laughs> which which is what his character needs to be. Like he's, he's something else on the outside and something else on the inside. And I think he played it exactly the way he needed to.
1: It's kind of crazy because I think before this movie, he was like this close to kind of slipping away into more of a B-list type actor because when he first like after he showed up on the scene with um social network uh Hollywood really wanted to make him a leading man uh you know like the, the guy was the lone ranger and when you think in your head what does a leading man star look like in Hollywood he looks like him you know six foot like, 11, whatever. Like the, guy's, <laughs> the guy could play center for the Raptors. You know, he's huge, he's blonde, he's ripped, and yet he was getting, like, he. the parts that he was getting weren't really doing him a whole lot of favors. I mean, he was Prince Charming and Mirror Mirror, and he did Man From Uncle, but none of those got a whole lot of watch. And then he goes and does something like this, where he's still playing a prototypical leading man. He's still playing the object of desire but like you said he's doing it in a way that's a lot more vulnerable a lot more emotionally honest and i think this may have given him a whole second act that his career might not have might not have got otherwise like he might have just kind of tumbled down into as you said like beelis type characters if not for something like this which is much more of a complex part
0: i I, and i hope that's the case because like he's And I'm not just saying this because he is extremely good looking. He's very interesting to watch. Um, Even his voice and his cadence, the way he speaks is interesting to me. I don't don't know why I find his voice weird. There's something kind of nostalgic about him, right? Like he's your typical, he's your Cary Grant. Like he's, you know, he's got that old Hollywood feel to him that we don't always have. And so I find him very intriguing. And I, I just, yeah, I'm interested to see what else he can do that isn't stereotypical leading man like give me some gritty army hammer i'm good yeah that. i mean it's cool like
1: he's gonna be he's in a ben wheatley movie coming up he's in a taika Watiti movie coming up uh kenneth bryan now i say coming up but lord knows when um, know it is. yeah exactly <laughs> um you're right his speaking voice is it's incredible and he he like i mean he uses that a lot in this movie because i mean a lot of when he's speaking uh, he's 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 got to show range because there's sometimes where he's being really standoffish like there's a moment where uh elio is trying to tell him hey take this approach with that girl and you know you'll you'll be in and he's like you know Mm -hmm. dude shut up i'm just gonna do this my way and he just shuts him down so quick and so well that there's like nothing to do it but then moments where they are having more of a you know where they are being much more intimate He's he finds a tenderness to his voice that you wouldn't think would come out of this, you know, mountain of a human being, you know, that mm-hmm. looks like basically looks like a Ken doll.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he has that one moment at the end, which I think is when they allow him perspective when they're in that hotel room and they've had their couple days of getaway, and you see it, you know, before he gets onto this train, he has a moment in the hotel room by himself essentially when he realizes this is kind of the last moment that we have together. And that kind of breaks me. Mm-hmm. like this movie has so many mo- little moments that you know kind of disrupt my emotional well-being. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> it was a great time to be watching this movie, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean it, there's there's the obvious scene which I'm sure we'll talk about, but like this moment is very. I don't know. It's it's small, it's subtle. It's the one time that you're seeing things from his perspective really. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, liked that they gave him
1: that. Yes. Uh now we've been, you know, spending whatever we like 15, 20 minutes now talking about the guys at the center of the story. Um but there are two really interesting women in this film and I wanted to talk about them because I don't think that they get enough discussion. So sure. we have we have Marzia in the middle of this movie who is the girl that Elio is uh, interested in and in the middle of the movie they have sex she's got an interesting little role in all of this because she doesn't get a whole lot of time to actually articulate what she's feeling but you can see that she is really she's certainly really attracted to Elio but at the same time she can tell that something is really up
0: it's funny because I think her and Elio's mom, who I'm assuming is the other one we should yep. talk about, are the first people that really show him acceptance. Because there's a there's a spot in this movie, and yeah, I guess it happens a bit more towards the end, so not so much in the in the middle section. But um, when Elio's mom drives him home from the train and stops in the middle of town, she goes into the I don't know the bar or something. I don't even know what she's doing. But I think she stops there purposefully so that Marzia can speak with him and tell him that everything's okay. um, And that she wants to be his friend and that they're going to be lifelong friends. And it's such a sweet moment that I feel like it's one of the first times when he feels complete acceptance, which would be tough for her because we assume maybe that's her first sexual experience with Elio, essentially. And that's a, a big moment for anybody. And to know that you're then not going to be with this person um, is hard. And she she originally looks mad, but then I think she takes it and accepts it and accepts him. And I think that's an important turning point for him to accept himself.
1: It, I mean, the, what I love about it is it instills her character with a whole lot of grace that i think a lot of people um certainly you know anybody um i think would have a real hard time actually finding within themselves like here's somebody who you've just been completely vulnerable with like as we said like perhaps for the first time we're not entirely sure but certainly at a time where being vulnerable is still um as difficult as it'll ever be and you know you are essentially rejected and you're rejected in a way you know for somebody so very different um i don't know like i don't know about you i'd find that really hard to to stomach i would have, i would want nothing to do with elio and i wonder if elio even thought he was fooling her um you know because as i said like elio likes to posture and he likes to try and play it cool um and there's a lot of times where elio really thinks he's keeping what's happening very quiet and very close to the chest when in reality he's really not. Um, But I, you know, there's a lot of maturity and grace and complexity to how Marzia reacts and her whole role in this, in this story.
0: Grace is a perfect word for, for it. Actually, you hit, you hit it right on the head there. Like I think she's very important for how, he evolves after this movie like i feel like she has such influence afterwards and i know there's a book sequel i haven't read it but i feel like she influences what happens down the road and i hope she still is friends with him like that's where you you leave this movie feeling like okay you wanted to be friends but i actually believe they can be yeah
1: yeah me too i mean i would love to read or see this story all over again from marzia's point of view um yeah and you know you you got one step ahead of me but anella the mother is the other woman who is really interesting in this film because um she isn't given a boatload to do she she's nurturing in a different kind of way but she is in this moment where a lot of parents don't always react the right way Uh, like forget about the fact that it's a same-sex relationship because there's a lot of parents especially at this time in in the early 80s that would have had difficulty with it and with with you know encouraging it and even allowing it in some places Um, forget about that it's just the fact that her son her teenage son is so clearly drawn to somebody with his whole heart um and it happens to be an older person that's very experienced there's moments where she just kind of she's at the table and just things are happening. And there's other times where you can see all over her face. She knows exactly what's going on. And she is just trying to not enable it, but actually try to guide it.
0: I mean, she's the first one that he calls when he needs help, right? When he's heartbroken, he knows that she'll understand which actually makes something later on, I think more significant, but she, she is again, part of that acceptance level. She says it's better to speak. He knows there's a reason she's reading that. Yeah. To him. Like it's, you know, it's in the middle of this big thunderstorm. It's all dramatic. And then, you know, it's, it's better to speak. I think that's what gives him the courage to do it. She's steady. She's, She's his rock,
1: and yet the the woman who plays it, America's Are, she plays it um, in this beautifully understated way. Like there's never a whole lot of um, earnest worrying on her face. There's never a whole lot of you know like just bohemian romance on her face. She's got a way of always finding just the right notes um, to do what she needs to do from scene to scene. She's cool. She's like, very cool.
0: She she comes in, and she comes out. She's, you know, this quintessential European woman who's stunning and just knows her way of the world. She's and she wants Elio to have the same experience.
1: Yeah. Was yeah. there anything that you noticed about the movie rewatching it that you didn't really notice the first time?
0: I didn't realize how much fruit symbolism there was in the movie <laughs> um, because I wasn't really looking for, for it the first time. But I mean, even like. The apricot talk, um, you know, one of the ways that it seems like Elio's dad tests his grad students is by knowing what the root of the word apricot means, Um, and it seems like it's something he puts every one of his grad students through to see whether or not they know what they're talking about. Um, Yeah, I didn't realize there was so much fruit in it until I watched it again. (laughs)
1: it's it's funny because when it when it did arrive at tiff all of a sudden i was seeing all sorts of allusions to apricots and i thought it was, i thought they were peaches um but i was like what what's the deal well i am like what what is going on what what role does this play and a peach later later but i'm like but watching <laughs> it i'm like oh okay so that's what we're doing okay
0: yeah all yes. right so-, so i didn't quite realize that but we don't need to get into it any further. Than- <laughs> I mean, you. like different conversation. I mean,
1: props. Listen, I I I can tell you that 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 I did not see that one coming. I I <laughs> thought it would factor into things some way somehow. That was not where my brain went. So not, No, you've
0: read the you've read the book though.
1: I read the book long after I saw the movie.
0: Okay, so but that that scene is directly from the book. I oh, understand. Yeah. 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 yeah, So, and I, I know that I've read some stuff that the director was like initially didn't know whether or not he was going to include it because he thought it was something that would be a lot more metaphorical in the book, but then they tested it out. I guess it worked. So, you know, it's a little shocking moment. (laughs) <laughs> that kind of solidifies their intimacy, I suppose. But
1: yes. Uh. I mean, I mean, it kind of it's it's funny because the whole thing is just so emotionally raw and so keyed up that you kind of need this moment of just pure juvenile impulse in the middle of it to, to, to you know to kind of break everything up otherwise everybody would just be on the verge of of either tears or orgasm or both the whole movie <laughs> um well i mean it's crazy the one thing i happened to notice on rewatch it's um it's strange that i noticed it considering that i had to watch it on my laptop the sound of this movie is Incredible! Like, like there is so much going on in the background, whether it's water or whether it's birds or whether it's the bells in town. Um, you know, it's it's a movie like we always get so caught up in how it looks because it's, it's sexy and it's handsome and it's you know it's Northern Italy in the summertime. So, just turn any camera on and you're going to get a good image. But the sound of this movie is so immersive um, that i don't think i i kind of latched on to that the first time and as i say it's everything from making sure that every time they're in town that you can hear things like scooters off in the background or bells chiming even times like you mentioned that thunderstorm that happens outside their windows it's an it's a movie that i don't think the sound of this movie gets enough credit
0: can i say that my dog actually freaked out with the thunderstorm um, she thought it was real so oh. that's a good testament to well, how good the sound was <laughs>
1: i see you and i raise you because my cat was going crazy because he was looking for the birds
0: <laughs> fair enough so yep. it's animal approved this movie so Absolutely. clearly see it.
1: <laughs> yeah. there are three songs in the middle of this movie that i have to talk about because welcome to my show um the you know there's there's a an old song and then two new ones um and it's I always thought it was so cool how they embody these different moods. So we begin with Love My Way, this 80s pop dancey number that I think, I mean, first of all, I just love listening to that song. But what (laughs) I think I, I dig about it is that it's so exuberant, so very like, new wave and it lets everybody just completely cut loose you know the whole first act of this movie has just been nothing but posturing and preening and trying to look cool and then this movie the song comes on and everybody just dances like idiots
0: yeah in uh in great 80s long shorts and outfits so there's what's not to love
1: slouchy (laughs) socks
0: exactly tennis shoes no you got yeah it's you got you got everything to this point i think the only music's been piano in the
1: or or, yeah or like classical type stuff like there's no
0: because they emulate like elio's love for piano and he's always transposing music and that sort of thing so the soundtrack's very simple and very piano and then all of a sudden you get this 80s tune you're like where'd that come from
1: (laughs) yeah and meanwhile when it comes on like everybody just cuts loose like the girls are all really happy and everybody gets on the floor to dance and i think like it's it's preceded by some sappy ballad of the moment which kind of has like the kids are kind of like leaning back in their chairs and a couple of the the couples are like slow dancing but this song comes on and yeah like you know now you hear the song and it's at this point it's synonymous with this movie
0: well and i mean it's funny because it's also the thing that changes elio's mood i guess as well like to this point he's been watching oliver on the dance floor with this woman and he's all kind of moody and broody and then he decides meh what the heck (laughs) yeah (laughs) um
1: then we move to song number two in the middle of this movie um mystery of love by sufian stevens uh Oscar nominated Mystery of Love. Uh fun fact for everybody, Mystery of Love is actually my alarm on my phone in the morning. Really? Uh, yeah, because the opening like guitar chords of it are so chill and easy and gentle, like it wakes me up. Like it kind of like eases me awake. I had for a long time I had some like really loud like crashing noises to like really just like jolt me awake but i found that that was not getting me up in the right mood so yeah if you listen to the opening chords of mystery of love that's the first thing i hear every day um it's this beautiful bittersweet song that plays right kind of at the pivotal moment of their affair um you know kind of at the moment where they're they're both off in i think they're in rome um, they, they, they leave town. They're 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 away and they've taken the train and they're on their own at this point. Um and the bittersweet nature of that song is is perfect for that moment.
0: I mean again, they found the craziest locales with waterfalls and all this stuff to, yeah. <laughs> to kind of encapsulate their their trip and their, you know, yeah, kind of giddy time together, I guess. But um yeah, I I like that song the last song is what gets me, but yeah, it's
1: Oh, so you pr- you prefer Visions of Gideon over Mystery of yeah. Love?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. so we'll we'll skip to that one. So we we basically have to listen to this song from end to end, this absolute ah, melancholy song. <laughs> yes. From start to end while Timothy Chalamet stares at us and cries.
0: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. and that's
1: Why do you love that one more?
0: Uh, Why do I love that one more? I don't know. I guess because at the same time, I mean, he's crying, I'm crying. So this melancholy song just (laughs) just kind of matches my mood. It's not that I don't pay attention to it. I do, but it's, I don't know. It just makes me feel what he's feeling. Yeah, it is. Melancholy is the perfect word for it. It's kind of nostalgic, Mm -hmm. I guess, in a way.
1: Yeah. It's... I mean, it, it's, it's crazy because you would think that after coming up with something like mystery of love, that there wouldn't be another song in the same, you know, by the same artist in the same vein, but then along comes visions of Gideon and, you know, it, yeah, it, it bums you out and it, it makes you cry right along and it speaks to everything that's going on inside his head, even though we don't really need him to speak. Um, and it's just, it really shows kind of what kind of a songwriter, Sophia Stevens really is. Um, it's crazy. Cause I mean, call call me by your name was nominated for best original song that year in a year that was actually just kind of stacked with great songs. It was the same year as this, as, um, greatest showman um and it was ultimately the year that coco won best original song but you hear it and it's not just a tune that was written to go over the credits it really is something emblematic either mystery of love or visions of gideon that really evoke the the emotional core of this movie so my next note is and then Stuhlberg starts talking
0: oh yeah
1: (laughs) talk about that speech
0: I think this is the speech that gets everybody. Like, it, it, you know, when it was funny because during when I was seeing it during TIFF, it was I think probably the m- most talked about thing. Forget about the peaches. The, this is like I, I really can't. <laughs> I
1: wish I could. I really can't. <laughs>
0: you really can't. Sorry, go uh, on. But this is this is the pivotal part of of the movie, and yet it's also a little bit debatable as to what exactly it is he's getting at because I think there's two ways you can really look at his speech and I understand that the writer of the book has now said it is one way or the other but I think there's the way that you can take it in that well he's universally accepting and almost proud of what Elio's found with Oliver and tries to make the point of Almost, you know, it's better to have loved and lost, uh, you know, and how lucky he was to have this. But then he starts to move the conversation into a, I almost went there kind of way. And so this is the debate, I suppose, is whether or not Elio's dad is also gay um, and is coming out to his son. And this is where I think it's the mother's role becomes important because Elio looks at his dad and says, does mom know? And I feel at this stage, Elio knows full well that he knows about him and Oliver. And so I think he's asking his dad, like, does mom know that you were close to having such a relationship with a man? And so I've, I found it interesting and every time I watch it, I still have that, oh, is, is he trying to come out to Elio as well? Or is this just him accepting of Elio and he's just trying to just trying to come up with a message that way? And I guess I, I, I read that the author has come out and said, no, Elio's dad is is not gay. That wasn't the whole point. But I was glad I wasn't the only one who felt that way, the fact that he had to clarify. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, it's, it's crazy because when he asks, when Elio asks his father, does mom know? Uh, he says, I honestly don't think so. Um, so you're right. Like, you know, his mom certainly knew about him and Oliver. So that's not what he's asking about. It's like, so what is he asking about? Um, the whole, I mean, what's incredible about that speech is I'm now listening to him give this speech. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not quite Stuhlbarg's age, but I'm certainly closer to his age, you know, than than, (laughs) that's certainly that Elio's. Um,
0: and Don't was, date ourselves, It's okay.
1: It's fine. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not quite at okay boomer level, uh, <laughs> but I'm certainly not at uh, you know millennial level either. Um, what I love about that speech is how he talks about opening oneself up completely to genuinely feel to to mm-hmm. feel not just the possibilities of passion and physical pleasure and love and just experience the world as the whole, because at this stage of the game, you know, we've just spent two hours with Elio where he spent time with Marzia and he spent time with Oliver and has really opened himself up to experiencing everything. Right. And we don't know what's next for him. Like he may go on to be with another man. He may go on to be with another woman. He may go the rest of his life being with both. But what, you know, so, so there's the one part of it where he's saying you've experienced something beautiful and you need to cherish that because there's a lot of people who don't, um, he then encapsulates in something so short, like the whole scene takes maybe three minutes. It's really not long. He then goes on to say, I know you're hurting, but please don't turn off that hurt. Don't, yeah you need to understand it you need to accept it because and and truly let it take over because it is real um and that is something I mean I wasn't told that as a kid you know I was all, like as as, as as a young man I was never taught feel pain I was always taught you don't get your feelings hurt boys don't cry you know like that so to have a father tell a son, this pain is real and you should let it in, um, I think is extraordinary. Two. Three, again, all within a very short time, he acknowledges the fact that the moment that you are open to this, not to yourself, but to the rest of the world, is so brief Mm -hmm. that in in, in not too long there will come a point where people won't even look at you twice, let alone want to be with you. And he said, he's basically saying you, you are at, you, you are right now limited by nothing. Just please enjoy it because I am at the stage where I am limited by so very much. I don't know if there is necessarily a parent out there in the world that would speak this honestly with their a, with their kid b with their son. You know, like if I ever wanted to point somebody towards a film that epitomizes modern masculinity this would be the movie forget about the gay story in general but just listening to a father talk to a son in terms of what it means to be a person and a man this is the way that everything should be spoken of
0: yeah, well i mean the world would be a different place if that was if True. that was the case but it's it's just incredibly moving and i mean yeah i get teary watching Leo at the end, but this scene, I was so broken up by it even at, you know, 1030 in the morning when I was watching it the first time. And the whole audience, you could just hear in the air that everyone was so hanging on his every word. And I don't know that there is a scene that I can remember that I I was just so enraptured by what an actor was saying. And I I can't even picture anyone else delivering that speech now.
1: No, me neither. It's 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 incredible because the whole ruts, like i mean he's got a lot more to do than the mother um you know if, if i've got a knock on the film it's that the parents aren't quite given the proper balance that he's got a lot more to do than elio's mother has but that said here's a guy who goes in there and just he absolutely clobbers out of the park what he's there to do in in a very short time and like you say like it gets me every single time the first time i saw it i was a mess by yep. the time by the time you got to the end like and then and then elio goes and cries i you know, know you know i'm like <laughs> i am not already screwed up enough you're gonna just have him <laughs> stare at me and weep yeah all right sure we can do that um it, it's still is one of those actors who every time he's in something i'm automatically interested um so the, and this may be his best performance. And I know that that's hearsay because he, here's a serious man, but still, um, yeah. you know, this movie then leaves us staring at Elio while that fired dwindles down. Like, yeah. Does that ever not affect you?
0: No. Uh, say <laughs> so you, you kind of evolve from that scene that he has with his dad to hearing this News about Oliver and to experiencing his heartbreak all over again because you've already experienced it once, right? He already yeah. had to leave Oliver once, and now he has to emotionally detach himself from Oliver, which I don't think he'd done to that point, right? Like he'd physically distanced himself, but I don't think he'd emotionally <laughs> himself. So watching that again, like, like what actor wants to be right here, like in a scene? and have to cry that close up for minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's has to be exceptionally hard. Um, and again, it's he gets to you because we've all felt that we've, we've all had to do it. Like, yeah. as I said, this, this movie brings up all the scars that you've had of first love. Um, and I think watching him, in that scene you can't help but remember your own and that's why it's so affecting
1: i mean i think that's what's incredible about this movie is that on the one hand it's obviously a queer story but on the other hand it's not simply a queer story it's a story of you know first love and first attraction and first heartbreak kind of all baked into one and you know it's that whole thing of roger ebert and the empathy machine you this this you don't have to be a gay man to appreciate this story specific. I don't think, you know, it, it's not, it's so transcendent because we, like you say, we've all been there. Yep. You know? And I think
0: one of the best ways of just encapsulating how much we need stories like this from all different aspects of life on the screen, because I think this so beautifully demonstrates how you can respond to everyone's story. You don't just have to watch a man and a woman on screen to feel things. Um, we need to see everybody's stories, and um, this was such a wonderful example of how everyone's love story matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, this was your pick of one of the best films of the decade. When I asked you of uh, you know to, to name a few, and this was one of the ones that was like in your top five. And I'm curious, what do you think it, about this film? actually encapsulates something about the decade gone by.
0: It's funny because I heard you ask Andrew this question and he took a total pass and I was like can I do that? But then I was like I <laughs> I no Andrew shouldn't.
1: Andrew's <laughs> a dick and should not have been able to pass. And I know and I know he's hearing this Andrew you're a dick I should not have let you pass.
0: Andrew, I would like to say, uh, liked my list of the decade the best. So he is in my top books now. Um, Andrew's a dick and I should
1: not have let him pass. (laughs)
0: Um, Does it encapsulate a decade? Well, maybe not from an emotional standpoint, because I think we all have moments in every decade where the emotion of this movie can totally reflect what we feel. Sure. Um, I would love to think that maybe it is a very good example of new stories being told and maybe in that way it does help to encapsulate a decade of some progression is it enough progression maybe not but uh, you know i can't think of you know a movie like this potentially being shot you know 30 years ago and having it be such a critical and you know success i guess there are things and, and maybe you touched on that with regards to you know the toxic masculinity that we're starting to kind of really look at in society that maybe have been brought out in this movie about a way that men don't have to act emotionless and um maybe that's a good thing to kind of have in it so are there moments from a decade gone by that you know perhaps have made this movie a little bit more apparent in what it's presenting perhaps I mean, every decade has love stories, right? I guess it's just what made this one special.
1: This decade, we had this movie, and then the year before it, we had another movie about, uh, you know, a queer love story that actually went on to win Best Picture. But a decade before that, in, in, in the aughts, we had a story that was also about a gay romance that everybody critically and and film fans seem to adore that just seemed mm. to be too much you know there, there was a year sure. what you know th- there was a moment in time where a film seemed to be so head and shoulders above everything else and yet when it came time for hollywood to to kind of recognize itself is it like no we're not ready you know so it's in in that respect of what you're talking about and i do absolutely agree um with what you're saying about um masculinity and how this decade we're really examining that again um those are things that i think it really kind of embodies where we were where we are and kind of where the ground shifted even if it was just a little bit because i mean Mm -hmm. let's be honest we have miles to go in terms of anything like that both in terms of queer acceptance and in terms of shifting the ground on masculinity i think for me to answer my own question What what this movie encapsulates about the decade, I think about the moment early in the film because it's a part I've seen over and over and over. (laughs) I said that first act I've seen like twenty times. Um, I think about Elio doing his um, rehearsing his classical number on the guitar and then going to the piano, and he's being a little twerp and he's playing a version of a version of a version. He's you know I I can't remember the exact composers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, good, good move. All right. But what I love about that is that is kind of what perspective and storytelling and, and even just personal politics have become in the last 10 years is a version of a version of a version. So when I speak about what I think about an issue, I'm citing um, the Washington Post, who is citing a source you know or somebody on the other side might be sorting, sourcing Sean Hannity who's sourcing some right-wing troll you know and it's never this past decade so much of our perspective has failed to be our own it's usually a version of somebody else's version of somebody else's version. I mean, you know, shit, this podcast, a lot of times I'm citing other people's opinions of these movies or reviews that I read or discussions that I had, and it's all kind of blending into my brain until part of it is mine, but part of it is what we talked about, and part of it is what you talked about with Andrew, even though he's a dick and what I'm not letting (laughs) it go, you know what Andrew talked about on his show. So it becomes a version of a version of a version. And on the one hand, sometimes that's good because more voices kind of lead to better clarity. On another hand, it's not good because you don't get any original ideas or original thoughts. So I think that is, and, and we've really dialed it up. This last decade, you know, we've really dialed up, well, you know, CBC says, um, and and kind of gone into this really strange place. So I think that's, that's kind of where we're at, a version of a version. And we need to get back to like our own ideas. You know, we need to get back to our own compositions, not playing it the way Beethoven would play it, the way Mozart would play it. (laughs) We end every piece here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. We are both refrained from choosing fruit for this answer. I'm disqualifying that right now.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) Hillary Butler, what would be your souvenir from call me by your name?
0: So there's a part in the movie and I want to say it's maybe a third of the way through where he's writing in notepad. Um, and as he walks away from the notepad, it blows in the wind and you can see kind of what's written on each page. One of them, he um, says, uh, I was too harsh. And he has like harsh written in big words. And then the other is, uh, I thought he didn't like me. And so he's clearly writing all these thoughts about Oliver and like just his inner turmoil. And I want that notepad because I want to know more about what's going on behind the scenes.
1: I mean, it's oh, that, crazy.
0: We're okay. we're in
1: this we're in this moment where everybody is posting pictures of what they look like when they were twenty. By the way, you're you're up. Um, <laughs> I can't can't wait to see what you look like at twenty. Um, I I I want nothing to do with anybody seeing what I was writing when I was twenty and, and when I was eighteen and seventeen because that is just not good. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like being able to see somebody as raw as Elio, like seeing, seeing his, his thoughts would be incredible. Uh, My souvenir is um, there's a, it's, it's not a major plot point or anything like that, but I just think it's so damn cool. There's a pool on this villa that is so curious and strange and interesting. And it just plays a part often. It's not a big pool. If I had to take a guess, it's something like, I don't know, eight feet by f- five feet it's like yeah. just barely big enough for like one full-size army hammer um yeah. <laughs> but it seems so cool i just i, I want
0: to so <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i want yeah. this pool i want to like go you know just hang out in this pool and like play some Sofia and stevens and talk about versions of versions of versions because it just it i mean first of all i just want to somewhere where i can go into a pool again let's start there right Uh, but that traveling
0: period would be great
1: yes (laughs) yes it would there we go call me by your name absolutely one of the very best films of the decade i'm so glad hillary butler chose it and gave us a chance to talk about it full on this show um hey maybe you think we're nuts maybe you think that this film is a piece of garbage or maybe you think that there are things that we did not talk about that that require discussion let me know ryan at the twitter facebook tell me what you think about call me by your name we are going to take a quick break and come back right after this with the other side come on back We're back. She's Hillary <laughs> Butler. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's the, it's the Winchester Chronicles, dispatch number three. We've been talking about Call Me By Your Name. Uh, this is the point in the show where we flip the record over, talk about further reading, uh, further uh, study. If you enjoy the movie, other things you could uh, go on to. Um, get us started, Miss Butler. What was one of your choices after this film that you think somebody could go on to uh, seamlessly?
0: I have such a hard time with these, but actually, I chose one from this year that was probably if it could be, even more critically acclaimed than this movie, which is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Ah, yes. Um, Because I think it shares some similar themes. Um, It's a period piece, (laughs) albeit not the 1980s. Um, But, you know, when it comes from a place of self-discovery and sexual awakening and forbidden love and social acceptance... And even when it comes down to that last longing glance um, on screen, there's actually a lot of similarities between the two. Um, They're both beautiful films, although Portrait of a Lady definitely has a bit more of a artistic palette, I guess, is what I wanna say. Like the colors are just a bit muted and it looks, it looks like it belongs in the period, I wanna say. Much the same, I guess. Is uh, I mean, Call Me by Your Name had so had a lot of um, like brighter colors and things like that going on that the eighties might have um, not neon. I don't want to say neon, but just it was brighter. Uh, being in Italy and you had all these different seasons. Portrait of a little bit more muted, but I think there's a lot of similarities between the two, and I think it would they would make an interesting back to back.
1: So, here's a little bit of a spoiler. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave this conversation there because I do want to do a whole Winchester Chronicle on Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, because we didn't cover it last year and uh, things this year just kind of moved too quickly, so we didn't get into it this year. We did talk about it quite a bit on the year end matinee cast, so I'll include a link for that in the show notes. But I want to do a whole Winchester Chronicle on it as my choice of one of the best films of the decade. Uh, My only trick is I need somebody to come on and serve as host, because I can't can't just sit here and talk to myself. So uh, if you're interested in doing the hosting gig for an episode about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, please let me know. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure... Yeah, but um yeah, definitely I mean the, the two would make a great compa- a great double feature and you're spot on about the differences in the visual um but there's there's a lot of parallels between the two movies and that that double feature would just ruin me I'm sure because both of those movies had me just bawling. Um my first choice for another side goes back to 1994. Um I know we've done a a feature-length uh, discussion of this on the show before, um, and it might have even come up as another side selection before, but I thought about Before Sunrise, mm. because it's now it's much more compact, for starters, than um, Call Me By Your Name. Call Me By Your Name is a whole summer. Before Sunrise, of course, is one night. Um, Call Me By Your Name is also more emotionally intense, given that it's it's an affair that goes on for, for several weeks. But I think they both have in common that, as I said earlier, reckless love that comes with your younger years. Um, Jesse and Celine, um Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in this movie, both, by the way, just looking... So damn hot <laughs> in this movie. You understand completely how they would strike up a conversation on a train um on their way to Vienna. Um they have an instant connection and it starts out so innocently, it starts out just kind of out of convenience, and it just builds and builds and builds overnight into just like one long, unbelievably incredible date. Um but still, something so real and tangible that will shape both of their lives. Forgetting about the fact, first of all, that there was two more movies to come. Yeah, because we did not know that at the time that this movie dropped. I feel like if Michael Stuhlbarg was Jesse's father, he'd have said the same thing. He'd have said what you had like this night was real, and you need to feel it. And even if you go back to that, that train platform and she's not there, you still can't shut this down because this was something that happened um you've seen this movie i'm sure i
0: haven't i'm, I'm no a, i know it's like one of those things that's always on my list and you? i know i'm going to be totally embarrassed by all the cinephiles here who are wow. actually lying they're like why haven't you watched this movie i know i don't know why
1: uh so have you seen any of them
0: well, okay. no, because if, if I didn't watch that one, I shouldn't watch the other okay. one. So it's a, the trilogy is, is okay. sitting there. Yes, yeah, yeah, right
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. Watch, okay. Yeah. What else did you have as a, as a good other side to go on to after? Um... Um,
0: so I went a little bit more feel good. So if anyone's looking for a creature comfort, um, which also includes a killer soundtrack, I will say, um, because I love the soundtrack to this movie and it's only from 2018. I'm going with Love, Simon. So I don't know if you watched this movie.
1: I did.
0: Because um, I, I think it found some audience, but I don't think it was like crazy huge. Um, but I loved this like teen romance that is again, about a guy who's trying to figure out being gay in a very modern world of social media and, you know, people posting things and, uh, yeah, I found it to be very relevant. He could be Elio in America 20, 30 years later, because there's a whole different landscape that you have to navigate these days. And it did bring some of that into play. Plus, as I say, it's got an amazing soundtrack if you want to hear a lot of like bleachers.
1: <laughs> so we are both readers, and it's interesting that you bring this up because it's a movie that's adapted from a young adult novel and i mean you know if we're talking about the last decade in pop culture and certainly in film the dipping into the well of young adults for inspiration and for content has been an incredibly mixed bag because on one side you have things that generally worked like hunger games or perks of being a wallflower um i would include this movie um you know for a certain audience um even a a movie and a book like the fault in our stars on the other side you have a whole bunch of movies that did not work and i'm thinking about (laughs) stuff like maze runner and divergent and Mm, yes you know all there's there's some that i've already forgot um this movie, I've never read the book. I don't know if you have. have you read the book?
0: I haven't read the book. I mean, no. we, but
1: we've both got time, so maybe we should. <laughs> um, it could it could sure. probably come it could probably bring me down a little bit after the after the Stanford Rape book, um, but it's it handles things. You're right; it handles things so well. Um, the parents in this movie, Josh Duhamel and Jennifer Garner, um, you know the 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 queer love story at the center of it. Again, kind of like what we were talking about with Marcia's role in call me by your name. Mm -hmm. um, You have one of the female leads in this movie. I can't remember which one it is has to
0: Langford. Uh, What's her name? Catherine Uh,
1: Langford. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Her character's name is Leah. Um, She was on 13 reasons why as well. Um, She has to square herself to the fact that, you know she's she's drawn to somebody who is who's gay and who doesn't know how to tell her and the complexity and the subtlety that comes with this now i mean the cool thing about it is like you say this is much more upbeat than call me by your name even though it deals with a lot of the same things because simon's voice like simon is so much more assured of himself even while being you know completely out of his depth than elio is
0: it's just, it just—it feels good. It's like a warm hug at the end of this movie. I just, yeah, I—I I loved it, and I walked out of the theater with a giant smile on my face. So if you're looking for that movie, Love Simon would be a good thing to end on.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you don't want to weep while looking at, at Timothy Chalamet, um, yeah. I, you know, of course, I also deeply approve of this movie because it—it um, it includes um, Kenyan in Lonsdale, who's on The Flash. He plays Wally West. Um, he's, he's one of the, the core characters and, um, yeah, anytime you, anytime you get the DCU into the, into the movie, then I'm, I'm on it. Um, well, I mean, one of the, it would, it would totally and completely be a missed opportunity if I didn't bring up, um, a book here, I'm going to bring up Find Me, which is the lat the 2019 book that. Is the sequel to "Call Me by Your Name"?
0: There's Brian, of
1: course. Andre Aciman wrote a sequel uh, several years after the success and adaptation of "Call Me by Your Name." Um, and a couple things I, I found really interesting about the book, uh, having I read it uh last fall i read it i'm trying to, I'm, the, the books really blend together uh for me um especially if they're books like that are I... like
0: 100 of them since then well, <laughs>
1: yeah you know you'd actually be surprised um quarantine has actually slowed my reading it hasn't increased it <laughs> you
0: don't um, have the cute to read on that's
1: all yeah it's it's, it's a lot harder um andre Asiman he wrote the sequel and i read it last year and there's a couple things so first of all this year I read the book adaptation of Call Me By Your Name. And what I thought is interesting about the book as compared to the movie is the book includes a scene uh, in the future. It includes a scene where Elio and Oliver meet again. And I prefer the movie adaptation. I prefer keeping this as a singular experience. I didn't want to go into the future and see when they meet again. Mm -hmm. One. Two – what I like about the book, about Find Me, about the the sequel, is that it's not another story about Elio and Oliver finding each other again. What it is, is it's actually three stories. And first of all, it's very short and it's very swift. So if anybody's looking for something to read, um, you could probably finish it in an afternoon. I mean, these days I can. Um, <laughs> and what it is, is it's three stories. Well, and then there's kind of a fourth little conclusion but it's generally three stories um and they're all allusions to music so the first story is called tempo and that is the story of samuel of elio's father um 10 years on in and what's going on with him um the next story is called cadenza that's the story of helio and then the third story is called capriccio that's oliver and so you take these characters and you push them forward in time and you just kind of catch up with where they are and what's going on in their lives. It's not a call me by your name again. You know, it's, it's not a part two. It's, it's just more of these people and it's beautifully written and it's, it's, I really, really highly recommend it. I'm always leery of more story just because I, I prefer my stories to end. I don't want, a movie of the of the series that got ended too quick you know i i prefer it but i'm i'm actually really happy to admit that this book did it really well
0: all right good i'm glad to hear it because you know you get a little bit nervous
1: yeah 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 exactly it's like characters
0: are now beloved to me
1: like oh yeah yeah no yeah you screw this up and and it's like curtains (laughs) for you
0: that's
1: right well there we go that's a lot of stuff that you can go on to after calling by your name and that is the third dispatch of the Winchester Chronicles. I am so happy for Hillary Butler for coming by. Come on back Monday, May the 4th. May already. Jesus. Star for, Wars. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure we will be discussing beginners from 2011. Um, yes. Hillary can be found at uh, Live for Films. People want to learn about what they should and should not be doing with their pets these days. Where can yeah. they follow you on Twitter?
0: Uh, at Pet.Hill. Very nice. Uh, yeah, for all my ranty veterinary
1: news. <laughs> it's important shit, people.
0: Be nice uh, to your. Vet.
1: Be nice. My- to, yeah, yeah. Be nice to everybody. Exactly. Right now, exactly. you know. Be nice every- to your
0: workers. Yeah. watch your hands. Stay inside.
1: Be nice to your strangers. Be nice to your neighbors. Just be nice. We're all in this shit together. We're all. And I and I know, like, it's annoying watching people screw up and do preventable shit. But just be nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Ditcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe and get free alerts when new episodes drop if you want to drop by and do an episode of the winchester chronicles uh about one of the best decades best film or you have feedback about call me by your name drop a dime in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at thematinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts hillary butler i think that was my final
0: thought uh, be, nice. be nice to your essential workers
1: <laughs> that's a good final thought yeah for hillary i'm ryan wash your hands and call your person